fungus. Feed, feed the fungus. Feed the fungus. Feed the fungus. stations on the internet, the stream of random podcast. It's kind of like one of those webcams into the world that they used to find. Like, oh, we've got a webcam on the beach. And you can tune in and see what the beach looks like. That's right. That's what we are. The webcam, the audio-only webcam, into Trenton, New Jersey. also known as Princeton South. Also known as the crossroads of the American Revolution. Let's see. Oh, my Cambodian scammer's writing to me. Now he wants 5,000 US dollars. sweatshop and have all the people work for him. He said, that sounds really cool. (laughs) Yeah, so Cambodia imports and exports a lot of material, textiles. It produces like textiles. I said to him, um, who's got the best sewing machines? Well, Germany's got great sewing machines. Why don't you, and then look at the import-export list. Cambodia imports sewing machines. So here's a good investment. Why don't you buy some used sewing machines in Germany and bring them to Cambodia and set up a sweatshop? That was my idea of the day. And he likes that idea. I said, I'm not going to give you any money, but I will help you with some ideas. Well, this coffee's pretty good. We're down to the last bag. Back to my Amazon uh, 
payment card expired. So, um, how you guys doing, huh? I was working out some math yesterday, and I do have some insights into the modulo table, and I just did the example of three, but it's pretty simple. Three modulo nine is evenly divided with zero remainder, right? And three modulo 10 has a remainder of one. And uh, three modulo 11 will have a remainder of two. And then going to 12, it'll go back to zero again. So what does that mean? That means you have a cycle of threes It'll go 0, 1, 2, 0, 1, 2, over and over again if the modulo increases. So the same thing with a modulo table. It's actually very straightforward to calculate that. Now, the next thing that I calculated is the base is one-third in base two, three, four, etc. And um, in base two, it's um, zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, and then in base three, it's one, one, it's just one. So one third base three is 0 0.1. And, and in base six, it's 0 0.2. And in base three, or base nine, it's 0 0.3. So the, um, the one third expressed in, numbers that are base relative to that are divisible by three or factors of three that actually oh my god the raspberries are here those ones are actually um Those are actually uh, one single digit non-repeating numbers. There's no remainder, so remainder is zero. Then when you get to ones where there's a remainder of one, right? Like we talked about the module table, you get remainder zero, remainder one, and remainder two. So the remainder one ones, which would be Four, right? Seven, um, 
and 10, though there you get the repeating digit infinitely. So, uh, 3333, etc. And now finally, when you get to remainder 2, right, then you get another digit. And it starts, um, it's the odd numbers counting up. Um, and it skips to, let me think, is it like 131313, and then 252525, and then <clears throat> three seven three seven three seven something like that. So it takes the odd digits and goes up one every time. So, I thought that's neat. That's a neat pattern that I found. <clears throat> and those are in groups of three, and those are related to the modulo tables. So I did find the connection between them. And I'm gonna explore this into more detail. But that would also give us the angles of the modulos. Um, the angle is just um, the angle is just what the remainder is, given that base, base or given that uh, modular system. So one, two, or three for the three. And I'm assuming that that's just gonna go up and up and up, and eventually it's going to, when we get to base 900 and larger numbers, modulo 900 or modulo 1000, um, and the number is also 1000, you're going to see sweeps in the uh, remainders where we saw those lines going, these vertical lines that are spinning around different points. And that would explain those, those spinning things. And I guess that would also explain those spirals around certain um, 
spirals around certain orbits. Now we still haven't figured out exactly what those orbit points are. But we definitely are taking a step in understanding that mathematic, the mathematics of that, what we found at the beginning of our journey that has sparked the beginning and connecting it all together. Breaking it apart and putting it back together again. So, so. So that's what I, um, I worked out yesterday for the mathematical notebook. I'm sure you guys are all super interested in this. They're like, yoo-hoo, another entry in the math notebook. Can't wait to download that episode. When's it gonna stop? That's what I wanna know. Okay, well. That was the one little bit. What else do we got? Bitcoin is more addictive than candy. <sighs> I was just listening to the No Agenda show from yesterday. paused it to start recording. Well, they poured a nice concrete bed here for the uh, train tracks. It's pretty damn fancy. They must have spent a fortune on this thing. A fortune. A fortune. It's pretty crazy how there's this hill that slopes down to the river. Just to think how erosion might have swept all this dirt. I mean, how is it even possible? Wind and water 
carving away at a mountain, making it a soft slope down to the river. Is that what it is? Over millions of years? Well, I'm starting my day by walking up the hill instead of down it. Because I find that my walk ends better if I start end it on a downward slope than end it on upward. Especially walking up that one road with the cars and the country club down there. It's not, not much fun to walk up. I mean, I'll do it. I do a lot of walking. Met with my work colleagues yesterday for a going away party for my colleague. That was nice. I don't want to comment on it to protect the innocent. But I do realize how taxing it is to meet with people and how much I don't like it. I really would have preferred not to be there. That was a big gulp. I almost choked on that coffee. finish up on our math topic yesterday, from yesterday. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, that the successive remainders of a division would approximate in a certain base is very interesting or that they would approximate pi in, in any base because the number re relationships fractions are not base specific I mean sure they're expressed in a base but once you resolve them to the actual sizes or numbers and in the end they're just Some measurement. My son, I was doing multiplication tables with him yesterday, and he said, cutely, he said, my math brain is not as big as yours. That was cute. 
his one month ban is over. And they got to Fortnite Season 7. So we got to play yesterday the first time Fortnite Season 7. And was super happy about that. So, um, yes, this whole math thing resolves to sizes and vectors or quantities in the brain. That's the one thing. And then I was also thinking whether or not you use a computer to do some of the math <clears throat> or you use abstract patterns, at some level, you're going to um, at some level I just realized there is a playground just down the road from here for the kids at some level you're not going to care how you got the result so the mathematics is really also which measurements that you focus on, which measurements that you um, remember. And I guess part of it's giving an algorithm to someone else, telling them what to do, or remembering the steps that you did. Look at all these tables they have now. And benches set up. And a uh, mallet from a uh, what's that game with, with a ball and hoops? You hit the ball through the hoops, the hammer. I say cricket, but it's not cricket, I know. Anyway. Seems that everyone had one of those sets at home.
thought that was fun, but it wasn't. So, yeah. <sighs> what are we going to do now, kids? just the remainders and the remainders make the angles Well, then we can get into this theory now and just say that if the remainder is unique, then that will create the prime. Or part of the prime, because each of the remainders of the division tell you how much is left. Angle one 
is uh, assigned to three, for example, in the um, tens module, and then it takes up all of the other ones for the same remainder, I think. We're going to look at that, but it has to do with the prime as well. There might be a little bit more information needed. Something to think about for tomorrow. So we at least have a question, and that is, how do the remainders... If we look at just the remainder in this table, how does that relate to the prime? The primus. I guess I have to do some research today for the meeting. Some reading. Read the fine manual.
I'm just thinking. <clears throat> this is horrible airtime. The birds not, are not even singing. I'm not even on the river. Um, so let's, uh, no dogs are practicing golf on soccer field. Okay. That's why we can always find the golf balls here. Well, look, kids, at least I'm getting my steps in, okay? That's all I can say. That's all I can say. I can get my steps in. That's a horrible excuse for a podcast, isn't it? And, um, I don't want to torture you, my new listeners especially, that they came for something great, a great story, something redeeming. Give us something. Throw us a bone. <sighs> Give the dog a bone. Give the dog a bone. So, the apocalypse is a Christian concept that came from earthquakes and volcanoes that they couldn't explain which are the gods. Isn't that interesting? That's what I read somewhere on one of those podcasts that I didn't listen to from New Books Network. Actually, I should listen to that one now. So, uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to check that one out. And I'm going to listen to some other stuff, and I'll get back to you.
Okay, so I found the podcast. It said, Brian Carrier, Earthquakes and Eschatology in the Gospel, according to Matthew. Brian, he provides a comprehensive analysis of the role that seismic language plays in within the Matthean Gospel narrative. After reconstructing what connotations seismic language likely carried in his cultural context, the author utilizes historically informed author-oriented narrative criticism His seismic references collectively indicate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So, it has to do with um, earthquakes in this theory. And uh, back then they didn't know what an earthquake was. And they thought it was the gods. So even if you have one god... You know, it's like, we're enlightened. We only have one God, okay? But that God wasn't stripped of earthquakes yet. Like, he was still responsible for the earthquakes. Right? Anyway, I'm going to listen to this. I'll let you know what's happening. Let's see. Wow. This is pretty good stuff. So he was saying that only through the Gospel of Matthew is the word seismos used in the Greek version. And basically, at the apocalypse, when Jesus dies and when Jesus calms the sea, oh, those are all um, acts of God that are accompanied by earthquakes. And he says that in the back in the um, Old Testament, Every time God is doing something, it's always there's always an earthquake associated with it. So that's a really interesting way to look at things. Um, that I never thought about before. I never really wanted to think about it. But now that he brings it up, I just wanted to mention. So apocalypse is the earthquake. Right? The day of reckoning. Judgment Day, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have an earthquake. It's like, that's the most horrible thing we can think of. And it's going to rain fire and brimstone. I mean, it's a volcano. You know? Like, these are natural catastrophes that God did to the poor primitive people. Because that's, you know, they got rid of Zeus and Vulcan and all them. So it just became God doing all that stuff. God was the man. So I think that's kind of neat. Kind of interesting. So, uh, how you guys doing, huh? How you doing? How you doing? I'm gonna say, I didn't sleep so well. I didn't have the deep sleep I needed, I don't think. I'm gonna struggle through this day. It really disturbed me to meet with all my colleagues yesterday. Not even all my colleagues. 
so it was just it made me think about so much stuff I guess this is a horrible 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 episode where it don't make any sense um we should just stop right now i'll be back when i have something to say how's that all right now that's an interesting insight i thought i'd jump back on here so he's basically saying that when judgment day comes on the day of the Lord, and it occurs multiple times. The enemies are shaken and destroyed by the earthquake, by God. And the righteous or good people are the ones that are not harmed, and they're the benefactors. So basically, it's saying that these random events is God, right? And, um... The random outcome of that is God's decision. It favors one person, destroys the other. Like, you live in Tornado Alley, you pray in the Bible, and um, if God wants to kill you with a tornado, then he does. And then obviously you were a sinner. You see? It's pretty obvious that you were a sinner, otherwise God wouldn't have killed you. Right? That was Judgment Day. You were judged, and you were judged badly, and the tornado killed you, and it was God's will. Pretty straightforward stuff, I think. So, that's important, I think, to comment on, and that's interesting. So at least we have one interesting point of this whole hour talk. I'm going to call it Judgment Day. Let's uh, continue listening. Boy, oh boy. That Duncan took a long time to get a coffee. But uh, I have an idea. An idea to talk to you guys about. Talk. I'm going to talk to you something about something. I had an inspiration, or not, I don't know. First of all, I don't think I get enough sleep and that my mind is cloudy and I'm slowly waking up. You got to uh, break out of this sleep. Uh, not break out. You got to process things. But I'm just thinking about all the different... Um, things I could do and thinking about the um, different ideas that I've had about swipe to deploy and cloud specifications 
cloud architectures. And there's definitely more to study there. These guys can let me cross. Thank you. Okay. Definitely more to study on cloud architectures and computing architectures. How to set up, how to configure, how to, all the other things besides the actual application, besides the formula, all the infrastructure. So I reached the highest point in town, back yonder, and now it's going downhill. It's kind of neat to see the topology, how it kind of builds up and up. This is a cute section of town called Ewingville, which is north of the college. But, um... I guess this all gets down to the question of um, if you have a carrier system that contains information about the outside world, when will that translate onto something that you can reason about? Let's say numbers. When can we quantify that information and do calculations on it? and make decisions on it. And will those decisions always be just arithmetic comparisons, simple operations, really? So this kind of gets into the um, complexity theory. How do you represent knowledge about something? How do you represent code about something? 
and um, lists being fundamental structures of data that you don't, that you're not processing right now, collections. It's like we have a list of this, we have a list of that, okay, we can process that later. So all of these different types of collections are just collections and containers or sets, things that we can do later. So that's kind of what I was thinking about. Can we represent things as numbers and uh, make statements about them or not? And that might just be a fallacy. We can encode things on top of numbers, but we're not really making numeric theoretical statements like, are they even, are they odd? Are they prime or not? Like those types of number theory statements, you don't make about things that are encoded on top of numbers. Right? The numbers are just the carrier system, just lists, lists of things carried and coded on top. So that's like the fundamental, the fundamental issue with computers is you're just carrying. Now, that's also the problem with neurons, that the neurons are just carrying information from the outside. And they don't necessarily know what that information is. Right? They see the ground is shaking. They think it's God, because that's the current reference model. It's like God is shaking the earth. Oh, look, this person survived. Well, God selected him. This person died. Well, God said that this person was bad. It's like, break the deal, spin the wheel. Games of chance are considered games of the devil. Because chance is the... Providence is, the, is owned by God, right? Fate is owned by God. You see, oh, I mean, from certain Christian philosophies and Stoic philosophies, that everything has been predetermined by uh, by God as well. So think about that. I mean, in terms of fate being predetermined. So playing dice is just getting on God's nerves, you know. If he wants you to be rich, he'll make you rich. If he wants you to be poor, he'll make you poor. 
but it doesn't want you to play dice. Okay, let's uh, put this on pause for a second. All right. Well, the judgment is made by God. Those who are aligned with God will be saved. Those who are against God will be punished or destroyed on Judgment Day. Because there's going to be a big shakeup. And who are you to say that it's random? So there you got your basic, you've got your basic um, gambler theory that's tied into religion. And it's very hard to understand how people used to think. But um, I'm starting to get an idea. And also I'm thinking about my preconceived notions of object orientation like this thing that we see is a symbol of something. So this thing that we're doing here in the computing world is a representative of this outside entity, right? That's like modeling or blessing or casting. So we have these different ways where we create objects that represent things in the outside world. And um, create a database, here's an Excel sheet, here's some numbers. It's like, oh well, the first column is this. Here's a matrix. The first column is that a vector, like any selection of numbers, even if you have a function, and you say, oh, this is the um, n, n squared. So it's, is it a function or is it a vector? Is it a sequence? Well, it's a function. It's not really a, I mean, it is a sequence, but it's more than a sequence. So, we have interesting theories of and about numbers. And some of those could be applied to things besides numbers. We have other things that cannot be applied to things outside of numbers. And I, this whole idea of data structures representing things. And I guess it comes down to configuration as well. Like we talked about configuration, like architectures, 
like pipes and stuff. And it's like for an operating system, we have all this data. But what if we didn't need that data for this particular version of the operating system? Like what if we could just remove one field or resize a field? And how would that cause a shift in all the code that thinks it knows the size of that field and knows the size of that object? So it really comes down to reserving columns in a table. Bits of objects. And then we can also talk about cash value. It's a coin. Looks like a quarter. One meal. Saving the planet one meal at a time. Aussie. Okay. Found an Aussie coin. What I'm trying to say here, kids. Feed, feed the fungus. Feed the fungus. Feed the fungus. Feed the fungus. Feed 